Welcome back. Welcome to Decision, Decision Space, Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns of your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. On today's episode, we're discussing biases and affinities, ours specifically, with regards to board games. Uh, we're doing this so you can better appreciate where we're coming from while discussing games and give you some food for thought about biases you might have and maybe equip you with some lenses to think about your affinities in games as well. Um, and I think this is going to be an awesome, more freeform conversation. It's definitely one of our what we talk about, but it's not super academic. We're just talking about things we like and dislike and maybe why we like and dislike them. We'll see. Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I it's this weekend. It's been like 65 degrees here in St. Louis. Yesterday, I played my first kickball game of the new year. I kicked a grand slam. What? It was so sick, dude. <laughs> That's a great way to start the season. Just just saddle up to the plate and kick a grand slam. Did you win it off the grand slam? No, I mean we we were the game was kind of in hand at that point, nice. but that really blew it open. And yeah, it was sort of a new new group of people. Um, in the first game, we lost, and I, I was kicking last in the lineup. And I kind of went up to our captain. And was just like, we got to fix the lineup. And then I, I don't know if like because I said that, but he stuck me fourth. Like, yep, yeah, <laughs> OK, prove it. OK, prove it. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. And then yeah. so then to like come through in that situation with bases loaded, just straight up grand slam. And it wasn't like I'm not like the craziest power kicker in the world, but I've got like accuracy. So it's just a total like slice bending kick that just like basically curving right hits the foul line perfectly fair and then just like shoots way out of bounds like down the hill that's awesome that uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with diamond sports like baseball or kickball um batting fourth is like the position where you put your your person most likely to kick a home run or to really crush it because it's the highest chance that the bases are going to have people already on so they can get you to score so a little bit of context for you also jake does this potentially play into our conversation today do you feel like you're biased towards kickball because you're good at it i mean yeah, well, we. I don't want to get too much into it, but I definitely have a huge affinity towards sports. Uh, we okay. like to call them, you know, mega dexterity games. It's one of my favorite things to do in the world. So the fact that, you know, it was so nice. I was telling you before we hopped on, I did a disc golf tournament uh, today. So I've just been like outside in the sun, absolutely enjoying the weather and, you know, playing games. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been awesome. That's so great. Also, you don't, it doesn't matter if your furnace is working or not because it's 65. So that's, that's a win too. That's right. It will get down to 14 degrees later this week. I so that's take it what back. It's like. I take <laughs> it back. <laughs> so welcome to Missouri, but yeah. That's so great. Well, I'm really excited to have one of these conversations with you that's a little bit more laid back. Uh, I feel like it's been a while. We've been like all academic and in things. Um, I guess, yeah, I, I think. For me, I think we were really excited because so often I feel like we're all business. We get into an episode and we want to unpack a game or talk about a certain topic. And I think we feel this pressure to really, really get in there and make sure we cover absolutely everything possible. And because of that, sometimes maybe who we are and what we love 
or what we dislike slips through the cracks. And I think as we've done this project together, Jake, we've gotten to know each other even better. So we have an implicit understanding of a lot of these things about each other, I think, or it's getting better. Um, But for those of you who haven't spent 55 plus hours with us the entire way, I think this will help you. And maybe we could also point to it in the future. If say I talk about a game and I'm like, Ooh, this really isn't for me because obviously it's X type of game. I could refer you to this episode and maybe you could hear about why I don't like X type of game. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, in some ways, maybe we should have done this as our very first episode. I think something you see a lot uh, online when people are talking about board game criticism is they'll say like, oh, I love so-and-so because if they like a game, then like, I know that is not a game for me. (laughs) Yeah. And meaning that like genuinely as like somebody that they will follow and watch reviews because that person has, you know, such a a concrete sort of taste and that it truly proves a valuable lens for people following along and listening in. So I think in some ways this episode can just give context to hopefully make all subsequent episodes. And like you said, even if you know, go if you go back through our back catalog after that, after this, if you're a newer listener, perhaps it'll make those episodes a little bit richer as well uh, and kind of paint like, well, okay, well, why is this a seven to me, but it's an eight to Brendan and and so on and so forth. Definitely. I think those two points are so awesome. I would love it if people come away from this episode being like, okay, who's my foil? on decision space is it jake or is it brendan uh and who's like my my one true host and then also (laughs) i think it's so important that that you and i just spend time thinking about why we're biased if we're if we're going through the practice of like okay every single week uh we're gonna sit down and unpack games and really talk about why we enjoy them and enjoy the decisions in them we have to understand where we're coming from and understand when we're biased against certain types of decisions in certain games um i think we are but I think even in this conversation, I bet we'll discover some things. Um, I, and I definitely have in the last year of like, oh, I'm really biased towards spatial puzzles compared to the average uh, decision. I just really like spatial puzzles more. So like that's that sort of thing. Sweet. Let's get into it. I really love this first question that you have posed in our show notes, which is what's your ideal game night? How, what do you say we start there? Yeah, I think that's a really good one. I Can I make you start? Sure. Do you have your ideal game night in mind, Jake? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I don't want to like paint a picture of like, first we play this game. First, you know, we have a nice glass of red wine and then we pull out (laughs) X game. But but yeah, I think a couple of details about my ideal game night is one, it's people are playing games quickly, right? Uh, I know a lot of people Mm. want their game night to also be their socializing time and, you know, talk about their lives and like what's going on uh which is fantastic absolutely nothing wrong with that but my ideal game night is like we're here to play games so people show up we get the game set up we start playing people are ready to take their turn they're pre-planning their turns you know so that we can play something quick and hopefully get something else to the table quickly after that so that's 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 number one thing about my taste for game night and the other thing is my typical game night is with people that are not super Mm. hardcore hobby gamers. And I love that too. Like I really love having uh, a diverse mix of people, maybe some people who are, you know, fully on board, you know, they've got their Calyx shelves of their own at home and and they're uh, bringing the game, suggesting games. But I also love having people there who are like newer to games that I can 
uh, kind of like introduce and, and bring along and people that are like developing their taste for board games, which I think is actually something that really influences my take on games because that's typically the audience I'm playing them mm-hmm. with compared to, you know, people who have more established game nights where it's like, you know, the same for people uh, you've been playing games with for 15 years or, you know, you go to a board game meetup and everybody there is, you know, fully hardcore hobby board gamers. I think that definitely is going to create a different experience of play than like what I'm cultivating at my house. I feel like based on that, I'm so I, I did know that about you, but I I do feel like when I see the game nights that you're playing in and the games that you're sharing in maybe our Discord, the games trend heavier than I would expect the average person in your position to bring to the table, which I think is an impressive signifier, both your ability to teach complex games and also like, I I don't know. I feel like you're playing with like game ready friends. Like everyone is really excited to be playing games, even if they're not experienced is the perception that I get. That, that's yeah, true. I think that's a, I think that's a fair way of putting it. It's, it's definitely nobody is coming like kicking and screaming, right? I'm not pulling <laughs> well, people yeah. off the street, but you know, I think most of the people that I'm playing with on my game nights are pretty much playing games like exclusively, uh, you know, with me in this with you. Yeah. situation. So, which means like you know, once a week or or once every other week or so. Nice. I think that for me. Well, okay. For one, this question is really tough for me. I, I put it, I, it's batting uh, first position here on the podcast as <laughs> in the context of our metaphor from before. Um, and I'm realizing, you know, I love game nights. They're amazing. And they're for me right now, sort of a fixture of a past life that I have mm. um, just because we have a six month old. So, so, and you know, the global pandemic. Um, so because of these two factors coming together, I feel like most of my game playing at home ends up taking the form of either playing games with my wife, Maya, sporadically throughout the day. We'll wake up. Sometimes we'll play a game in the morning. We'll try to play a game at night. Um, and if neither of us are working, maybe a, a game or two throughout the day. Uh, and then we'll play when friends visit. So for me, that's sort of the form the game night takes. And I think what I'm doing that. Uh, so I, I guess I'll answer both questions. One, I love stashing games away in my life that way, but my ideal game night, um, which is almost like a mythical creature in some ways right now, is I really want to play, uh, I, I lean towards lighter games just because I don't I, I don't necessarily think it's all about throughput for me. Like I, playing more isn't better, but I think everyone being comfortable with the rules is such an important aspect of, of game night for me. Like I want everyone to be playing on the same footing that I'd rather trend lighter uh, than I would heavier. And I think I tend towards lighter games myself anyway. Um, more distilled uh, rule systems maybe and emergent complexity. Um, but like maybe one game that everyone has played before I'd lo- that they enjoy, I'd love to go to that again. Um, and then maybe a medium weight game that's sort of new to everyone uh, or one heavier game. And then maybe another medium or a lighter game to close things out um, is like really ideal. But I think... I generally prefer to play games that are totally, uh, I guess, with newer gamers, like leaning on the same sort of ideas, uh, but from different perspectives. So like for people like in your position, Jake, if I'm my ideal game night would be like showing people games where it's like they're going to make a connection between these two games and then learn something about why games are awesome. 
I think mm. so. I'm really intrigued that the fact by the fact that both of us, our answer just had everything to do with everyone else at the table. Uh, but I think that might be in just the headspace of two people who started a podcast to talk about games uh, is we want to engage and be there with others. One thing you said that really intrigues me is the fact that it's really important to you that people have familiarity with the game. Uh-huh. And I think that's so true. Uh, and I hadn't considered that as part of my answer for the ideal game night, but I feel like to go back and incorporate that, I think like an ideal game night would be everything I said before, and we're playing a game for the third time. Mm, yeah. Most of the games in my collection, if I'm being totally honest with myself, get played about three to five times max. Just because I have so many games, I'm always getting new stuff. Things are cycling in and out. And I feel like the first play is like the learning game. So yeah. That's not going to be the best play that you have with it. The second game, you're, you're sort of starting to like understand it and like figure things out. And like the third game, you've got it. Like you're fully exploring the system. And then I think like by the fourth and fifth game for me, typically it's sort of like on its way out. Where I'm like, mm. okay, yeah, I've seen this game and I'm now I'm like starting to like, oh, I just got this new game in and I'm starting to itch for that. I think I, so for me, like the third game becomes joyful comfort food that you're all sharing. And oftentimes it's like you're remembering past plays and they're filtering over future plays and your current play. And that's so much part of the fun. And I feel like with friends, I always feel this pressure, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm only going to be around you, especially because I live on the East Coast now. I grew up on the West Coast of the United States and I now live on the East Coast and I have a lot of friends who still live on the West Coast. So when I'm seeing them and we're having a game night, I feel the exact pressure you do of like, okay, we can only play every game once and we're going to play half the games we play need to be games we've played before and half of them should be new games um, because we get sort of the best of both worlds. Uh, I hadn't thought of that, of like the the comfort of a well-known game even though I said it. But with Maya, I think we lean towards like, let's play this game 50 times if we think it's a 50 play game. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. And I mean, definitely a very different experience. It's like having somebody in your house that's like willing to go deep with you, I think is totally awesome. Uh, But also a experience that is very foreign to me. I mean, the only thing that really I've done that approximates that is, uh well i guess games i play online but yeah i think about like when i was 12 playing magic the gathering with my buddies or something like that um but beyond that you know nothing even keyforge most of my plays have been online, online really i think that it is special to the specific time in my life right now too to some extent just because we're both on family leave which gives us a lot a lot more time to game so i think it, it will It'll wane a little bit, but I will say in terms of biases, this reminds me of something you've said in the past, Jake, about how playing games with Bridget, like the Fox in the Forest, you both really, really enjoyed until there was a skill disparity between the two of you. And that's that definitely biases the games that Maya and I play at home where we're playing on repeat, right? It biases us towards games that we're equally skilled at and potentially games with slightly higher randomness um, so that we can be more evenly matched because it's not fun if someone wins every single time. I think we're a little bit trying to find our way out of that with Babylonia right now. It's a game that we're really, I'm really, really enjoying. And I think Maya is seeing how much I'm loving it and having a hard time dealing with finding her footing in the game. 
Um, so we'll see if it ends up being a game that we can get to 25, 50 plays, or if we pack it up and say Bon Voyage at 20 plays or 15 plays or something. Um, and both would be good. I mean, 15 plays of a game is incredible, but that's definitely a biasing factor for me in terms of playing games I'm playing physically. Yeah. Well, okay, so let's get into that because I think when it comes to like biases and affinities, I don't think it you can really overstate this factor, which is like skill at a game. Mm. And I think you're putting it in the context of, you know, the dynamics, like how your how relative skill levels interact within a game, especially in like a closed meta of a household. Sure. That's something that we, Bridget and I have really experienced. And I think like when I'm talking just strictly about playing games with Bridget, I'm really biased towards games that Bridget is better than me at. Like I want to keep playing those mm. games over and over because A, like Bridget likes it because she's winning and doing well. And B, because I'm like incredibly competitive and upset that Bridget keeps beating me. And so I want to like un- understand and like figure out and learn. So that's something that really drives me to bring those out where if, if a game even, you know, as soon as like, I see the scales starting to tip into my favor. It's just become so quickly less fun for both of mm, us. Cause yeah. I just don't have as much fun. Like really, I, I think I don't have as much fun in games where I beat Bridget than when she beats me just in general. And I know that for her, it's like there's a huge difference in enjoyment of a game if she wins versus loses. So yeah, or feels competitive at it, I bet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like let's zoom the camera out slightly and talk about us in the context outside of our homes. I, I'm going to conjecture and I'm going to speak for both of us. I think both of us lean towards games and that we feel like we can get really good at. We want games that have a perceived learning curve and skill ceiling that are high just in terms of who we are, right? Like we should, I feel like, and tell me if I'm wrong, by the 10th play, I want to be at least... 90% it, no 50 at least 50% better than I was the first time I played it um, and I want there to be returns in terms of how much things I'm learning about the game uh, my skill at the game should continue to grow for like I want it to like live to 100 plays like on my 100th play I want to still be able to be learning something about the game even if it's really small um, even though most games won't get there I want to be able to perceive that that's true of the game yeah I definitely definitely agree with that And I would go even like further to say that like I have an affinity for games that yes, like learning and developing and growing in a system is one of the most fun things about board games. Uh, I think that's something we've talked at at length about, but I'm also an affinity for games that like I am intuitively good at (laughs) over (laughs) games that I'm not good at. Like I, I just want to say that as like plainly as possible. And I think that, you know, this is a vanity thing. It has to do with like my competitive uh, nature, which frankly could be toned down at times. Um, But, you know, if I'm playing a game, if I'm playing a game as we're preparing for an episode of this podcast and I'm winning a lot and I'm very competitive and I'm doing well against you. I'm doing well against people in our discord. I'm doing well against people generally online. I, I, you know, I'm just having more fun than when I'm having the frustrating experience of losing uh, a lot. And I think, you know, I definitely take that, you know, I, 
take that into account. Uh, but like, there's still like some element like subconsciously that I think I can't totally get away from where, cause I feel like I'm smart and I feel like I'm good at games. So when I'm like losing over and over and I don't understand why, sometimes it can make me feel like maybe this game is like random or like maybe there's, you know, something messed up about it. And I think that's like a, a very human thing. And unfortunately something that I do tend to embody. I feel like this is one of the most important biases in board games that everyone has to think about and consider because everyone is susceptible to it to some extent. And it's so unique to the media of board games, right? Like you don't sit down and watch a movie and win or lose the movie. And you don't sit down and read a book or win or lose the book. But like ortho games, which are games we generally are talking about with like a ranked outcome. uh, There's games that don't fall into that. Um, But games generally give you feedback about how you're doing in participating in that process of playing that game and i think that that's such a unique part of games that we have to talk about how it biases us Um, and it's only natural right like if you're there's other activities where like if you're good at it you're probably going to enjoy it more right like if i'm good at dancing i'll probably enjoy dancing more than if i feel like i'm really bad at dancing maybe not um but i feel like with games there's this like added dopamine hit every time you win a game and there's that outcome um, I feel like I'm susceptible to this bias slightly less than you are, but I still definitely am. But I think that I tend to come at it from like, why the heck can I win at Feast for Odin? Why am I so <laughs> bad at a Feast for Odin? Like on paper, we've played a lot, we're preparing for, for an episode of the Feast for Odin. And I just feel like I have put so many turns, hours, minutes uh, of playing the game and time into reading about the game because I was like, I don't always do that. But with Infused for Odin, I was sort of like, I am missing something about the edge that I need in understanding the efficiencies here. Um, so I'm definitely, I feel that bias too. And I'm trying to filter right now on a Feast for Odin of like, I really enjoy this game. I think it's so cool, but there's something about not being able to get that W that's frustrating me. Um, so yeah, I think that's good that we covered this sort of at the the top third of the show because it is I think so specific to games too. And something yeah. that everyone experiences. Everyone's going to be that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's funny. You did ask sort of joking at the top of the show. If like part of the reason I like kickball is because like I'm good at it. And I feel like I love kickball and I'm very good at it. And, but I also love disc golf and mm. I'm horrible. Like I have like intuitive skills for whatever reason. Like, I don't think there's anything that I'll ever be as good at than I am at kickball. Like that mm. is my comparative advantage over like most people. Yeah. You know, if, if, if kickball was like a productive skill in society, I would just be like hammering away in the kickball mines. Totally. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, but disc golf is like the exact opposite. Like I really have, you know, like being somebody who's like general, like grew up playing sports competitively in college and everything else. Like, I feel like disc golf is something like I should be good at. Like I should, like I play against my buddy, Paul Solomon, designer of Honey Buzz all the time. And I just feel like, sorry, Paul, if you're listening to this, but like, I feel like I should be able to just like out athletic Paul. Like I should be able to just like throw farther and try harder and just beat him. But like, it just doesn't work that way. Like he just beats me almost every single time. And it's just like the technical proficiency of movement. that I just cannot match right now. I'm still working on it. Eventually I'll get better than him for sure. But, (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So, you know, it's not just like there is this like element of like, I want to like learn this and I want to get better Mm. because I'm having fun. And, but I think the key is that like with disc golf, like I feel like I'm always learning something new. Like every time I go play, like I'm starting to like understand things a little bit more, a little bit differently where it feels like, like I think the, the board games that I lose at that really frustrate me, like so far my experience with Tigris and Euphrates that we've been playing a lot. And I've just been like, really a curmudgeon in the discord like i don't know why people like this game like this game is so annoying uh and i feel like the my, part of my frustration is like not only that i'm consistently losing but that like i'm having a really difficult time like identifying feedback and i don't feel like i'm getting better even though i've played it you know 10 times or whatever now do you think you have a bias towards well signposted games games that give you a sense for the key strategies in the game and path through them that that might be that might be the case. I haven't really thought about that specifically, but I think I mean I think games I would say like more the affinity is for games as you put it that have strong feedback. Mm. Where like I can I clearly identify like when I've done something right and when I've done something wrong and that's you know not to get into a full review of Tigris and Euphrates which we're definitely going to cover at some point in the near future, but I feel like it's really difficult to know on any given turn like was that smart or not Mm. um and i think maybe that game in particular would be a lot more clear if i got some more real-time plays in um but like something about the fact that like it's async as well makes it so hard for me to like identify like okay well where did i go wrong here we'll try to get some real-time plays in it and i think that that's that's so interesting i feel like I'm trying to think how much feedback and signposting matters to me in terms of my biases towards games or my affinity towards games. Well, so like in a feast for Odin, I would say like your scores are improving. Absolutely. Like you're getting a higher score at the end of the game every single time. Yep. Basically. Um, so like you're even if you're not winning the game yet, like you're definitely like, OK, I'm getting closer. Where I think in like Tigers and Euphrates, I've like just consistently been like second or third, and it's always like four points, totally or, like, five points, or, and then it's four points again, and then it's six points, but the winner got nine points. You know what I mean? It's like, and because like that game system is, uh, I mean, it's just so much more like amorphous that. I think, yeah, no, totally. The feedback comes not from the results, which I think is one. So this is our last comment on Tigris and Euphrates before we get into it, I feel like. But I think one thing I love about Tigris, maybe that says something about me and my biases or affinities, is I love having the memorable moments of realizing something new about the system that I can do, right? So like, it's a game I've played many times now, but I still have moments where I see something about the board um, and I do something and there's that spark of like, holy heck there's this like emergent cool moment where i can do something that i never imagined would have happened and for me i think part of what biases biases me towards a game is if i can is learning something like if i'm learning something from playing a game whether it's that could be because i've played it's a game that i've played a ton of times that has this like emergent potential for depth or it could be playing a new game if i learn something about that game I feel like I'm biased towards liking it more. If I, especially if I learn something about games generally, or if I see a new way to do something, all of a sudden I'm like, oh yes, like that's imprinted on my mind and I like it more because of it. 
I agree with that and just like put an even finer point on it. When you learn something new about a game that you've played a dozen or more times, it hits different than if you learn something new about the game in the second play or third play. It's like, okay, well, you should. Like mm-hmm. even the most like rudimentary sure. games, like, you know, or or even a game that could be like very much solved and, and not really like enable for the, you know, kind of infinite depth that a classic game like Tigers and Euphrates purports to have. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like you should be learning something new in the second or third game. But when, like if I'm playing Bruges or Castles of Burgundy and it's like, okay, oh, I need to remember to do this differently this time. It's like, wow. Like after yeah. all these plays, like I'm still learning something new about this system. And that's pretty cool. I feel I really appreciate that you separated those things because I feel like one thing that in board games and just people who play board games often, board gamers, who is going to be everyone listening to this show. And if you're not a board gamer, you should try one. Yeah, you should pick one up. They're pretty good. <laughs> uh, is originality bias? This idea that like things that are new to us, we tend to like more. I feel like right now there's so many cool, there's so many new games coming out. There's so many cool things that that tends to be emphasized. And I feel like you and I, Jake, tend to lean towards the games that do teach us something on the on the play 25 plays down the road or however many more so than originality like something brand new more so than the average board gamer um and i'm not saying that in a way that i want to like toot our own horns or anything but i just think that that seems to be the way that we tend towards consuming games for whatever reason right now do you think that's fair I think that perhaps is the most important affinity that we share that gives our show the shape that it does. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times you hear people talk about like cult of the new versus cult of the old, and there's like nothing inherently good or better about either one. If you enjoy playing a new game every night for game night, fantastic. Like keep doing that. Um, and actually like when it comes to game nights, I'd almost rather, almost always rather play something new than something old. But, uh, when it comes to like playing games like online, uh, which is where I do the the majority of my gaming by far, I want to really drill down into my favorite designs and, and get as good as possible and, and, and like kind of explore the depths as much as possible. Um, and I think when you look at our show, the games we've covered, kind of the topics that we do, it's really shaped by this affinity for uh, these like classic games and, and games that really stand the test of time. And that's why we deep dive them, right? If, yeah. if you're somebody who's more like a cult of the new person, you maybe don't care as much about a deep dive podcast. You That, that wouldn't give you nearly as much value as somebody who's playing the game three times and the, and again, right? This is not this is zero percent criticism. I think it's fantastic that these shows are out there, and I'm a huge fan of many of them. But you know, it's great if somebody plays the game two or three times and then gives you their thoughts because that's going to match your experience yeah. um, of, of a new game as well. That's actually more relevant to you than like, okay, this brand new game. Like, how does it play after 20, 20 plays? Like, who, who cares? Because you know, like probably you're going to play it a couple of times and then pick up something new. And that's fantastic. No one needed us to have over a hundred combined plays, including Maya 
on the Cascadia episode. No one, no one asked for that. That's just our <laughs> sickness. Yeah. Uh, but we, we do. And I think that one other important point that I'll make is I don't think Jake, either of us are coming at it with the bias of like old games are better than new games. Um, I don't think that's the headspace that we exist in. Maybe sometimes it's sort of like old games are different than newer games, but why is that? And what got newer design games to be different in these ways? I think that's an interesting question, but I think for me, it also, the reason this bias exists is if someone's still talking about a game 15, 20 years later, they've probably played it more than 10 times and there's legs. So for my bias of wanting to keep learning, it supports that that sort of path. And I think that that's really important for me to think about and understand. Um, though I will say, uh, playing New Hotness, which for me falls into like games from the last three years because I'm I'm slow to the to the uptick sometimes can be really fun and exciting like the experience of buying a new game and knowing it's in the mail on the way to your home there's something very exciting about that don't get me wrong I, I feel the same way and if I get a new game then that's what's coming out at game yeah. night most likely I'm not like just because I love Castles of Burgundy you know it's very rare that I'm pulling that off my shelf I am almost always playing something newer to me. Uh, and, you know, when I got my hands on the new Libertalia game, courtesy of Jamie, I was like, I have to have friends over so I can play this before it's street date. Cause how cool is that? You know? Uh, so, I mean, the, the cult of the new, the hotness stuff, it definitely gets to me as well. That's jump off because that's a beautiful game. And we talked about how it's a beautiful game. The colors are just so vivid. Um, Cascadia is another example of a new game that's really beautiful. How much shape do you feel like um, the aesthetics of a game, the presentation of a game biases you? Like, or, and also I'm going to lump into this. Like, how much do you, does like, if a game is more abstractly presented versus more thematically presented or more uh, realistic, like simulation uh, sorry, people who are prescriptivists are going to be mad that I said it in this way, who, that are presented from a more uh, simulation-focused perspective uh, impacts what you think of it. Yeah, I think those are, to me, those are two very different things. They um, are. Yeah, yeah. First, no, for sure. to just talk about like the present, I think, you know, I wonder if you share my thoughts on this, but I really don't like consciously care too much about the art and presentation of a game. I say consciously because I think like I talking with artists and game design artists and, and just game designers in general, I think like subconsciously the art and, you know, graphic design assets make a bigger difference than we maybe consciously perceive. So I won't say like, it doesn't matter at all, but really truly and this is not just me trying to be like i just like the mechanics like but i just like the mechanics and that's kind of the thing that i care about uh far and away more than a beautiful game i mean castles of burgundy is not a beautiful game <laughs> you know and it's probably my favorite game of all time um so i think it's, it's just something that's really easy for me to look past but when it comes to like engaging theming I think that matters a ton. Like if I yeah. can tell myself a story, if I can use that to help understand what's going on in a game and like why I care, uh, I think that makes a, a big difference to me. Uh, I think in terms of games I play generally, like if we're talking about games online, games in any context, I would say I care more, like you said, about the experience it's creating. And, and art is a component of that. But in terms of games I want to own, I care so much more because I know that a well-presented game is a game that's going to hit the table more often, right? Like it's so much, 
if I'm going to the closet to get a really ugly game out, I have to play play it up so much more. And it just it isn't going to hit the table as often as possible, which is just a reality of games. Not because I don't want it to necessarily, but just because of the context of the experience of it. I think it's going to it's just much less likely, though I will say in terms of i don't know this is such a hard one like we are definitely biased to some extent right like we just are like you said in terms of how the graphic design impacts the experience and i love a beautiful object i just do like i feel like there's a game caper a new version of it just came out called caper europe um and the original caper is gorgeous it's from Keymaster games the same people who did parks and when I bought it, I bought it with these really cool metal tokens. And I feel like it makes me like the game a little bit more than I'd like to admit it does. Um, so I don't know. Something that I think about. But I really, I do like Caper. I promise. It's not just that I love the, you know, uh, upgraded components. But I feel like it plays more of a role than maybe if I'm not having a conversation about affinities and biases than I would think it does. That's really interesting. So I think this might be a place where we just genuinely differ, which is good. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, like having like a beautiful object is just truly something that doesn't enter my brain. I think you're right. Like, and it's something I should pay attention to for the sake of Bridget mm. uh, and, and kind of the stuff that she would be more intrigued to play with me and probably other people I'm inviting over to my game night too. But I'm just like, you know, like, do you care about home decor? Is that something that like you take an active like yeah interest in? Yeah, I mean, I could turn my webcam and in this space that we're recording, not a ton, um, but I, I think to some extent, like I need the vibe to be right. I need the vibe to be right. You know? Yeah, what? yeah. I mean, and it's just different. Like I, you know, I think like I do appreciate like Bridget does a lot of interior designing and you know yeah uh like she wants you know like she'll like paint walls and and i was like appreciate i really appreciate it. like it's it is nice to like exist in this space but like i'm always just like yeah do whatever you want <laughs> i feel like this might play into another bias that we have which is my uh, we've talked before whether it's like talking about cascadia or king domino in that i think i'm biased towards being a more visual person right when when mm. i sit down to play a game uh like one of those spatial puzzle games like one of those games I visualize what I want my board to look like or what I want the outcome to be or what it might be. Um, and that's something that's really fun for me, right? Like that that visual puzzle that I'm doing in my head before the game even starts. And you've said that that's something, that's something that you practice at all. And I think that, for reasons we've already covered of like enjoying it, makes me like spatial games or games more than I would if I wasn't coming from that perspective. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think I'm just like, and this is totally a me thing, but that's the whole point of this episode where I think like, I just am not an observant person in general. Like I just hmm. don't like, you're pretty observant about mechanics of games though. But, well, that's like different. Like, okay. you know what I mean? Visually like, observant, like a visually observant, like yeah, all the time in my life, Prince will be like, Oh, like, do you see that thing? And I was just like, no, I didn't see that because I was just like, so in my head with whatever I was thinking about or doing and like engaging with, that I feel like a lot of this stuff is just truly lost on me. Like I see it, I internalize the mechanism and then it's just like all in my mind palace from yeah. that point on. Super interesting. What parts of, okay, it, since we talked about it with my brain, where like I have this affinity for spatial puzzles, what do you feel like is the part of your brain that you have an affinity for? That like you sort of like sit down to play a game and you're like, 
yes, this is giving a back massage to this locus of my brain and I'm all about it. I think it's like the like optimi- optimization and like sequencing, yeah. like trying to navigate my way through like a complicated s- sequence in the most efficient possible way um, is something that I tend to really, really enjoy. Um, and I think the types of mechanisms that typically play into that are like multi-use cards, dice drafting, worker placement, like that kind of thing uh, where it's like, okay, I need to take this dice so I can activate this space with that. And that'll give me these resources so that I can, you know, fire up this engine over here. And then in two turns, like that'll pay off and I can do this. Like, like I love having the, that, like I can keep this whole complicated sequence in my head. And I love when there's new inputs coming in that make me have to constantly be, you know, running that process and seeing if there's like a more efficient way to play the game. I definitely would have said the same answer for you. By the way. <laughs> like you lead so much towards the efficiency puzzle side of games. Like that's a joy for you. And I think that's so cool. Like that's where your love of Stefan Feld comes from. Like your, your Feld monocle has like, I love efficiency puzzles, like, you know, etched on the outside of it. Um, and I think that like, even your love of things like underwater cities comes from that. And I really like those games, but I think that I lean more towards the, I like efficiency puzzles. I really do. Even in games like Kanagawa and things that are of an efficiency puzzle, I like there to be, though, a texture of uh, a human element with integrated into the game somehow, right? So like in Kanagawa, a game that we always go back to that our audience does not have a shared context for, <laughs> but we, we both love, so we're going to keep going back to it, is I love the fact that the game tests your hubris in terms of opting in or out of the goals like that one little layer on that efficiency puzzle of like, is this the right stop for you in this efficiency puzzle for me makes the efficiency puzzle even more interesting. And I feel like for you, it's sort of like a take it or leave it thing. Like you don't dislike that, but you don't need it or you don't crave it. I don't know. I I actually think I really do like that. You do like Uh, it. Okay. And I think, I think it's like, to me, the thing I like about it is you get to, like put down your chips, metaphorical chips on like, this is what I believe mm. the game state is at this moment. Calling so your I, shot. Yeah, calling your shot. That's something that I think really appeals to me. And it's something different from like the efficiency side, although a lot of times it factors in because yeah. if, you're, if you're right about your shot, then you can be more you know, efficient. You're more efficient, right? Or you have like a fork in the path. Like yep. this is the less efficient, safer option. This is like the more efficient like high, high risk option, which one am I going to go for? Um, and so I really like ha- like when those forks happen in a game. And I think like, I really like it too, when it's like semi probabilistic, I think I, I think where we maybe differ is like, I don't like it as much when that gamble is solely or mostly betting on what my opponents are or are not mm. going to do. I like it more if it's like, maybe there's like some element of that. Um, but I want there also to be some element of like a non-human component, which might be dice. Dice are, are really a really good one because it's uh, like known probabilities where I can like, I can say like, okay, this is the risk, but I can like 
have some estimate of what the likelihood is of it. I think cards can be really fun too, but as we talked about in cartographers, like cards have this problem where like, I don't want to have to, or have to have my opponents memorize an entire deck of cards in order to get there, engage in that kind of determination. I feel like we've ended up in the El Grande station of the conversation, right? The the bus has just arrived at good old El Grande. And this is where the two of us meet because it it plays to your wanting there to be some sort of like share. The pool of shared information is a really important aspect of that decision point for you, right? Like it shouldn't just be about you being in my head. It should be about you for you being in my head about the information in front of us both, which I agree with the vast like the vast majority of time i'm there but i i do think i lean towards like enjoying games like cosmic encounter where i'm just like there's not a ton of shared information there's some um but like most of the time i'm just trying to like get in and crack the nut of your skull um and that's fun there's other things going on in cosmic people will be like oh this is the efficient way to play cosmic i know i know i know but like I can enjoy that game at a level that's like way more casual, I think, with like a group of friends who just want to play in the zany space of Cosmic Encounter with the milieu of aliens that it creates. Um, Because I like that social side of things as well. And I'm not saying you don't love social games because you love the resistance too. Um, But I think we tend towards, even the two of us now grouping us together, we tend towards more strategic games than more social games, though we both do really like social games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I think with El Grande as a good example, like if that game were when you're choosing like your power card, basically your auction for turn order, like if that was like a simultaneous thing where everybody like Mm. secretly picked a card and then revealed it, I would not like that. And I I might like it slightly more. yeah, Yeah, I would definitely like it less because I like the fact that like sometimes you're making like more or less wager. But if you're like last, like, okay, what a relief. I can just take the most efficient card for me in this situation. And I don't even have to worry about my annoying opponents doing random unoptimal plays that are throwing everything off. The chaos. Why can't they just be machines? (laughs) So let's talk about this. That's now this is a good moment to talk about player conflict and interaction, because I think that's kind of like this stuff we're skirting around. I think that, in just in terms of comparing ourselves to each other, I tend towards maybe being biased towards player interaction compared to you. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's definitely right. I think, I mean, you've got more of the background in like the fighting game community for fighting game video games. And I think like my belief is that like you really bring that into your interaction with board games and therefore like believe that there is a lot more intentionality in a lot of decisions in games that I just typically find like random and chaotic, Mm. you know, like, like, like the rock, paper, scissors moments in games. Like, I think you see that as like a very rich space to explore. And I'm just like, Oh boy, like rock, paper, scissors. Like this is just like random like Nothing. we might as well just be like doing like rolling a dice here. It gets something. me so excited <laughs> because I know that you, you, me and everyone we know have exploitable patterns of behavior and I want to understand you and I want to unpack you and I want to eviscerate you from the inside out by always knowing what you're going to throw and being one step ahead. For me, that's like, I like being better at efficiency puzzles than other people, but even more than that, 
I like knowing what you're going to do before then you know what you're going to do and doing the right thing in response to it. For me, that's like the ultimate fun in games. You're so right. Like that's, that's the joy. Like, yeah. Okay, great. I beat you an efficiency puzzle, but if I could be two steps ahead, oh my. Yeah. So you're like, keep your feasts to Odin, but like best two out of three, me and rock, paper, scissors and like see what happens. Kind of, but like I'm excited <laughs> at a feast for Odin when I'm like, Okay, Jake's definitely wants to go to like for me the part that activates in a feast for Odin is like you really want to go to that whaling spot or the hunt the the what's the hunting the trapping spot. There's just the one trapping spot, two workers, and I know you want to go there and I beat you to it. I'm like, okay, that that gets a little bit of this, right? Like it's it's a place where worker placement leverages that for both of us because it allows me to get in there and block it and mess up your efficiency puzzle. So for me, the interaction is part of the joy there of how that shines through in a game like a Feast Road. Such a good example because like for me, what I think is like joyous in that system is like for me, like the efficiency puzzle is like, I want to create the most efficient sequence of things like that. It's, it's why I'm losing. That, that's like flexible <laughs> based on like the random chaotic inputs of my opponents. There's 61 <laughs> spaces. Why yeah, do exactly. I care about this? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, like you're like, yes, I'm taking this one spot. I'm just like, oh, Brendan's doing something random and chaotic. I guess I'll just like, luckily for me, like there's six other good spaces. And I think that that, right? But like, if it works in my plan, then I feel even better about it. But that's one of the problems. And I think like, let's not get too into depth in a feast for Odin, which we're covering soon. But I think like, perhaps for me, like that is not like that is too far on the multiplayer solitaire for me Mm, for ideal so i think like my bias for player interaction is that like at least some aspect of the game that enables for player interaction to significantly impact the outcome of the game in advanced play yeah so so like i want there to be i want it i want player interaction to exist and i but i but like in my ideal world I want that player interaction to be something that only really matters in advanced play because I feel like player interaction when you're in a learning game or when you're only playing a game, like, you know, talk, going back to that, like cult of the new thing, right? Three if, times. If you're, you're only playing a game three times. Like I really don't think player, like significant player interaction is, does that much because like it, at that point, like in a learning game, right? It's going to be pretty chaotic, especially games that enable like take that and like tearing people down. Like there's just such a high propensity for, you know, something to happen that just throws the game off because nobody knows what's going on. So like, I'm going to attack player C, you know, but I didn't know that like what I had to do in that situation was like check player A. Uh, And, you know, and, and, that doesn't mean the game's bad or broken. It could be perfect, but like it takes 10 or so plays to get there. You know what I mean? Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Like, I totally do. No, I definitely do. And I'm sort of like, it'll create joyful moments throughout those plays that make me want to get to 10 plays. Um, but I also see how, from your perspective, it's sort of like, I'm not even experiencing the game as it should be played. And not should in like a gatekeeping way, but should as in like a, everyone is playing in the magic circle circle of wanting to play the best game they can type of way. Um, yeah. Okay. Player counts, Jake. We've been talking, you just said uh multiplayer solitaire but 
how many do you do you find that you tend towards like we both love Keyforge, that's a two player only game. We both come from a background of like we played a lot of Magic the Gathering growing up. Another well, a game that the two of us primarily played at two players, but you can play Magic at lots of different player counts. Would you find that you're biased towards like lower player count games or higher player count games? Probably higher player count games. If I'm when where I can like cultivate it online on when I'm playing on board game arena or Yukata and I'm I'm wanting to start up new games, I almost always pick three or four players. Uh, I don't like the zero sum nature of the two player games as much. Um, I just feel like a lot of times it can really like warp a game state. Uh, I, I won't go as far to say as it's too broad to say it like makes it less interesting, but I think like there's something about like that zero sum nature of it that makes it less appealing to me in general with the big caveat that like, if it's a game where I feel like I want to be like a competitive player at, then it's fine. Like then I'm on board with like the zero sum nature, but it just feels weird to me of just like, okay, like time to fire up a random game of Carcassonne against some stranger. And like, See, this know. is so fascinating, right? Because <laughs> the conversation that we just had, I feel like I appreciate what you're saying and I hear where you're coming from. And I prefer two player zero sum experience of games. King Domino, Mighty Duel variant. I'm all in, right? Even Azul, when we were playing that, I feel like I what I love about the zero sum nature of two player games is that it adds a texture, uh, a veneer of information over the entire decision space that you would otherwise not have that turns what would be like if the knob of a game's decisions and just or the, the enjoyment of a game is at a uh, eight and the game plays relatively similarly if it scales if it's not about like the resistance which you need a large group and larger is generally better um i feel like i'd rather just play it at two because i like the added complexity that that more that that zero sum nature creates. But what I'm realizing, Jake, is that it's a more interactive way to play that game than having to play three or four players, right? If I'm having to think about what you want and what you're doing, that's going back to my bias towards wanting to play the game of playing what my opponent is doing as much as my own game. Um, so the two player nature of those games creates the opportunity for that. That's I never considered that before. That's Such so an interesting. interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's fascinating because like, what I'm saying I want is like a four player game where each person is doing a little bit of player interaction. And you're saying like, you want two player games with like each person doing a lot of player interaction. It's kind of like, there could be almost like the same quantity of player interaction in, in both systems. Um, And also, right. Like if we're playing a game that has high levels of player interaction at four players and everybody's doing a lot of player interaction, like that's where like it can really become chaotic and yeah. unknowable so I, I just think i mean i think that really is interesting how much preferred player count seems to really like necessarily pair with what player count you're prioritizing and playing at. because i think that's not something people tend to talk think about, about they talk, talk about. about like i don't like multiplayer solitaire i you know i don't like take that like well what player count are you playing at because those things in you know in different contexts or or make a huge difference i kind of get like if you're playing almost exclusively with you know just just your partner at home like yeah maybe like a multi a more multiplayer solitaire game isn't where it's at it's what's so interesting is i feel like one way that this shifts for me is when 
games have the same input for each player even if we're not interacting at all like roll and write games like when we're playing cartographers it's enough for me knowing that we were given all of the same decisions like right if if welcome to comes out and every decision point was the same for us even though i know that of course every decision that you make along the way is changing your approach at it it's enough interaction for me to know that we're solving the same overall puzzle because then i care about did i do it better or worse than you in a way that us navigating it differently shifts it somehow. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like that's not interaction at all. That's it's just not, more it's like, not. It's, it's yeah, not. It's not. Yeah. It's a meta outside. It's thing. like a shared experience yeah. type of yeah. thing. Which yeah. works for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like for me, like uh, Bridget and I have been playing a lot of Obsession, mm. which is very much. There are, is ways you can interact with your opponent and like very take that mean ways, which we basically just haven't done in our okay. plays. Interesting. Um, and so it's like very much multiplayer solitaire. Uh, and I've, I've been absolutely loving it. Um, and, and Bridget too. And I think like for us though, like the shared experience isn't that we have the same inputs. It's that like, this game is like so complicated. Like it almost, it, I mean, it's not like the heaviest game in the world, but like for what Bridget and I tend to play together, it's like, among the heaviest games we've played yeah and i think it's it's more of like the shared experience is almost like putting together a jigsaw puzzle together yeah like this a lot of the satisfaction and fun is just like we did it we played that game totally oh this reminds me totally this reminds me of a comment you made on a show like 26 weeks ago in which you said i'm going to quote you and we'll see if you still agree with it or not i'm not actually going to quote you because i didn't write it down um something to the effect of Playing heavier games is the goal. Do you feel like that's a bias you have? Like better, big, heavier is better? I think that, I mean, I definitely wouldn't say like heavier games are better. Sure. Your personal bias. Yeah. But I do think like there is sort of like a overarching like meta game that board gamers do for better or worse that like as they enter the hobby, they kind of naturally progress to like heavier stuff as they mm. like learn new skills and i think i think this could be a topic for like a whole new episode. episode but i think what like my new thesis is along the same lines is that like heavy board games are basically just complicated jigsaw puzzles <laughs> interesting okay <laughs> and like the fun is like trying to put we did it together. like at yeah. the end of the game you put it away and it's like whoo that was a lot, but we did it. Super insightful um, in terms of the accomplishment, the achievement of playing a game that's super heavy at the table. I also, I have to disagree from my perspective because I feel like rather than chasing the, my white whale is not chasing the largest whale that I can possibly catch. It's chasing the smallest possible whale in terms of rules baggage with the most intricate emergent is interesting decision space like that's what i'm addicted to like how lean can a game get and still be super super in-depth and interesting to me x plays in and obviously that is not borne out directly right like i'm not we're not recording chess the decision space podcast right like we're talking about board games so it's in the context of that uh because i think that's games like that those really abstract games are great examples but i'm talking about something slightly differently I, but I, I like heavy games but I'll play them in spite of the fact that they're heavy rather than being excited to play a heavy game because it is heavy. That's how I feel too. But <laughs> like when I think back to what my like 
resolutions were for the podcast it was like play an 18xx game play a food oh, yeah, chain yeah. you know like so i think like as much as i'm like oh yeah like i can see these like meta trends like i'm still a part of it and i do want to try those games uh which i feel like are games that like as of yet even though i've been playing board games you know for you know been like deeply in this board game hobby for you know now like eight years like it still feels like wow like i did this there's still these like heavier crazier experiences out there yeah you know like i did twilight imperium and like maybe now i should try 18xx just to see what it's like and i you know and i doubt that i mean to be totally honest with you i don't think i would ever become an 18xxer because at the end of the day i think i really do find value and enjoyment in a similar space as you yeah but i do feel like when i get to the end of that 18xx game i'm gonna feel some kind of personal satisfaction of like yeah i played an 18xx game totally. it wasn't that big of a deal there's like a social <laughs> merit badge going on in some yeah. way it just is okay i think we should close the show with a rapid fire round of i read out questions and you give the first answer that you have and then i'll say mine after what do you think okay let's okay. do it so biases or affinities that we might have cards versus boards cards cards Okay. Uh, <laughs> one mechanic that you find interesting above all else. Dice drafting. Nice. Simultaneous choice. Oh, uh, gross. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, perilous decision spaces or not perilous decision spaces, i.e., should you be able to lose within the first three turns? Not perilous, I think. I think I lean towards not perilous, but like buckle me up to a perilous decision space and let me go if it's competitive. Yeah, it's kind of different too. Like that one, I think really matters if I'm playing it online or in person. Yeah. Like if I'm playing like uh, Carcassonne again, as an example, online, like I have zero hesitation for just like wrecking a new person and be like, well, you won't be able to use those three workers for the whole entire game. But like, I'm just not going to do that to somebody uh, in person. And I think, again, that's, why it's important that we talked about like our typical or preferred game nights, because a lot of times like I'm playing with people who are like newer to games and aren't like hardcore hobbyists. And like, so like the worst thing in the world is like when we're two thirds away through a game and somebody's sitting there like, well, I'm out of this. And it's like, okay, totally hate that so much. Totally. Okay. Uh, Personal play space, shared play space, personal play space, shared play space (laughs) um uh two hour games or one hour games i think i want to say two hour i feel like one and a half is like the sweet spot but i'll go two hour because i think like the mid weight is really my sweet spot and i'm 100 percent one hour okay yeah 45 minutes or 20 minutes 20 minutes this gets so much harder i think i lead towards 45 that's so interesting um, <laughs> yeah like if i'm playing like a filler shorter game i want it to be like truly a shorter filler. like let's have it be shorter so we can get to the longer games yeah like enchanted plumes arboretum yeah, yeah. like let's go sick okay a game that you love that you think we'll never cover on the show oh oh god you go first i know you have your thought okay i have two set a game about pattern recognition with basically no decisions which i think is super interesting um i love this game it's designed by a a woman designer it first came out in the 70s you should look up set also coconuts a dexterity game about flipping coconuts that are secretly poop with monkeys love it we'll never cover it on the show uh and that's like our show bias of like what games we'll talk about to you but games that we also love outside of the show 
I, I can't think of any games that like I wouldn't cover, but I did a whole episode on kickball. Yeah, so, boom, kickball. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I'll just put it on. I'll just like, sorry, listeners, like you're going to have to just deal. Like the disc golf episode's coming. Just yeah. wait. <laughs> Darts, boom. Curling, boom. <laughs> I don't know what else Jake does in his free time. Horseshoes, boom. Roasted. Okay. Dude, I don't know. Uh, the beer pong episode? Yeah. I got, so I got like strategies that go deep. Okay, so let's slot that in as uh, 2023 as a throwback to when we were 10 years from when we were both in college, maybe. Maybe around that time. Uh, we'll yeah. do the Beer Fog episode. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts, Jake, of affinities, biases, uh, things you want to send the show sailing along with? No, I think that was a really fun conversation, Brennan. So thank you. I enjoyed it a great deal. I mean, my only closing thoughts is just like, I'm really interested to hear a, like what kind of biases or affinities people have outside of what we covered on this episode. Cause obviously there's just like so, so much. much here. So I'm really interested like, what are the big ones that like we didn't talk about here uh, that are important to you and in your gaming. And then I'm also kind of curious just to hear what, where people fall on, on some of these points as well. And you can do that either by coming into our Discord, which is sort of like a, a chat room that anyone can access from a web browser. Uh, the link is in the show notes, and we have an active community of people there who are talking about games all the time and also playing games together online on Board Game Arena, Yukata, uh, Bodajang, and other websites like that. And you could also do it just by talking us, to us on Twitter. You can find the show at Decision Spa, Jake at JakeFRYD, and me at BurnsideBH. Um, you can find our show on Board Game Geek as well. We have a blog there. Look for it. Just Google Decision Space Board Game Geek and it will come up. Um, Jake, I have one more question to add, though. Steffenfeld or Reiner Knizia? Oh, that's such a hard one because, you know, both of these people are really widely respected. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly like I'm like, I just want people to know I'm doing a bit. I don't hate Reiner Knizia. I've enjoyed many of his games, but. To date, I've much preferred the Steffenfeld games that I've played. What Easy about cl- you? Easy claps. Kinesia, get out of here, Steffenfeld. Your games are garbage. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Oh, pre-planners. We didn't talk about you at the top of the show. We love all of you who play games with us uh, and are excited about what's coming up. We're covering Broom Service next week, A Feast for Own at some point, Tigris and Euphrates at some point, and beyond that, uh, the sky is yours. Sounds good. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Take care. Not really. Oh my God. I love your game so much. Oh my God. It's a good thing I have editing so I can just like your games are garbage cut then we play the music (laughs) but see now that everyone knows you're editing i can just claim that you did it in an edit right no they won't know you're gonna cut this too oh no (laughs) (laughs) we gotta end the show before this gets out of hand